Church, this morning I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to John chapter 14. I want to read in your hearing the first 14 verses of that great chapter. So once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence, the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 14, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. You may be seated. For the last several weeks, we have given careful consideration to the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. All seven of these messianic metaphors lay claim to the divinity of Christ. And perhaps there's not a more explosive statement ever found on the lips of Jesus than the one that confronts us today. When Jesus emphatically and dramatically declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Today, I want you to imagine with me the mood in the upper room that night. Jesus and the disciples had gathered to observe the Passover This was not the first time that they had gathered for Passover. This was not the first time the disciples had ever experienced the Passover. Since infancy, all of these men had observed the Passover year in and year out. By the time they walked with Jesus, they could have recited the script for us. They knew how the room was to be arranged. They knew the significance of everything on the table. Traditionally, The Passover is a meal that is marked by celebration and enthusiasm, for it is a meal that commemorates the great Exodus event whereby God faithfully liberated his children from Egyptian captivity. But on this night, the mood was somber and reflective. On this evening, there was not a whole lot of celebration and joy, for on this occasion, Jesus clearly communicated his imminent crucifixion. It was on this night that Jesus took a piece of bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, it was Jesus who took a cup of wine and said to his disciples, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which will cover over many sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus said things that no one had ever said before. He gave new commentary to the Passover meal, taking two very common elements. Jesus clearly communicated about his upcoming death on the cross. Not only did he speak about his departure, but he also identified Judas as his betrayer, that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own for only 30 pieces of silver. And on this night, Jesus said to his disciples that all of you will scatter Every single one of you will fall away on account of me. And it was Peter, that ringleader of the bunch, who locked eyes with Jesus and said, I will die for you if I have to. And Jesus said to Peter, on this night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Any level of enthusiasm and excitement quickly evaporated out of the room that night. The disciples were as deflated as the unleavened bread on the table. It is with this imagery as a backdrop that Jesus begins our passage. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That word troubled, it means overwhelmed with turmoil. It means paralyzed by grief. You and I could understand the word trouble simply by the word worry. Jesus is telling his disciples, do not worry about what's inevitably going to happen. Don't worry about the crisis and the chaos that you're about to experience. Do not worry about your immediate future. What Jesus said to those disciples in the first century, I still hear him saying to disciples in the 21st century, Today, Jesus says to you, beloved, do not worry. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Whatever you will face in the immediate future, it is not something that can overwhelm the Savior, for you are never outside the jurisdiction of Christ. We learned last week that there is no problem or predicament or prognosis that's beyond the service area of the Savior. Jesus has everything under control. Therefore, you do not need to worry. In the midst of coronavirus, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of broken homes and broken marriages, in the midst of sheer chaos, do not let your hearts be troubled. The word worry is something that grips all of us at some point in our lives. And it's well been stated that when we worry, we are practicing atheist. We act as if that God doesn't exist. We act as if that our scenario, our situation, our concern, our crisis is too big for the Lord and you and I are not to be practicing atheists for we know that God is in charge of all things. How do you battle the trouble that's in your heart? You battle it with trust. Jesus says, you trust in God, trust also in me. When he makes that statement, we hear the echoing of what he said previously, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you don't need to have a troubled heart. You need to have a trusting spirit. You trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. It's at this point that Jesus gives an analogy of sorts to communicate what heaven is like. One commentator said that Jesus had to speak in analogies because there is no way that we can comprehend the depth of God's truth. One commentator said it this way, that God's truth is as vast as the ocean. Our minds are as small as teacups. There is no way that our teacup-shaped mind could comprehend and fathom the depth of the ocean of God's truth. Now, the argument could be made that there's some teacups that are bigger than other teacups. You may have a cappuccino-sized coffee mug compared to my little teacup, but regardless, neither you nor I can fathom the depth of God. So Jesus speaks in analogies because he has to. So he says that heaven is like uh, my father's house. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you so that you may be where I am. Jesus says that he is going to prepare a place for us. He compares it to a room in a house. Now, when you and I hear that, we think to ourselves in our Western mindset, I wonder how big our room is going to be. I wonder the location of my particular room. I wonder if my room will be one of the corner suites on the high rise in heaven. I wonder if, if my room will be right there on the corner of Hallelujah Street and Glory Avenue. I wonder just how vast and just how big my room is going to be. The King James Version doesn't help matters at all because King Jimmy translates that phrase that in my father's house are many mansions. Now, if you and I like a big room, we love a big mansion. And in our Western mindset, we begin to fathom what is our mansion gonna look like? And certainly our mansion must be at least a seven-story brick building. And, and there in that seven-story brick building, we have a 12-car garage. And outside the 12-car garage, there's got to be a gold-plated underground swimming pool and then an ivory picket fence and a well-manicured -man landscape yard without any weeds, of course. And inside that seven-story building, there must be everything that is top-notch because why? We're in heaven. And there on the wall, there must be mounted a diamond-studded 777 high screen, high definition television. And oh, my friend, when we begin to allow our minds to plunder down that path, we've missed the point of Jesus. The fact that Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and in my Father's house are many rooms. The point is not for you and me to just get enamored with how big is our spot gonna be. The point is, that in the heaven that Jesus creates for us, there's room for you. And there's room for you. And yes, there's room for you as well. There is room for each and every one of you. There is room in God's heaven. And even greater still than the fact that there's room in God's heaven, heaven is the place where Jesus will physically and literally dwell with his people for all of eternity. Jesus made the promise that I will come back and get you. 
and then you will be where I am and we will dwell forever in God's heaven. What Jesus experienced when he came to earth, no follower of Christ will experience when they go to heaven. For 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn. And yet no chosen follower of Christ will get to the pearly gates of heaven and see a red flickering neon sign that says no vacancy. There is room, my friend. There is room for you. And even greater than that, there is a place where Jesus will dwell with his followers. Jesus said to the disciples, you know the place where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas, just trying to keep it real, raised his hand and said, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? A lot of times, Thomas gets some bad press. He's called Doubting Thomas. I don't think he's a doubter. I think that Thomas is just trying to be real. He's just asking the honest question that's at the forefront of his mind and must be at the forefront of all the disciples' minds. After all, those disciples had followed Jesus for the better part of three years simply because he came to them and said, follow me. They left their families and businesses. They left their homes and hobbies. They left their dreams and their desires. They left it all in pursuit of following Jesus. They didn't know where this was going to end up. They didn't know what was going to happen. They, they were unsure about the final destination. They just believed that Jesus is the Messiah and wherever he's going, they wanted to go with him. And on this night, Jesus is talking about his departure. On this night, he's talking about his impending death, that he will be taken away from them. Thomas is just asking an honest question. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's in response to that transparent question that Jesus gives the most explosive messianic metaphor found in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By now you know that phrase, I am, is the self-proclaimed name of God. Jesus is not saying that he is a lesser God or a creation of God or another God. He is adamantly declaring, I am God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he emphatically says it for on all three of those, uh, in front of all three of those words is the definite article, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is not a way as if there are multiple paths and avenues and routes to God. He is the way. He is the way of redemption. And that way of redemption is the way of the cross. It's the way of suffering. It's the way of obedience. He is the way. As he follows, as, as he leads the way, so we follow him. He is also the truth. He's not a truth, as if there are multiple truth statements and truth persons throughout human history. There's nowhere in the Bible where the Bible describes truth in a relative way. In our culture, we speak of relative truth, uh, your truth and my truth, his truth and her truth. But in the Bible, it's either true 
or it's a lie. The devil is the father of lies. God is always portrayed as the author of truth. And Jesus claims in this statement, I am the truth. He also says, I'm the life. That word life can be uh, many words in the Greek text. We've talked about several of those words in the past. The word that Jesus uses in this passage is the word zoe. It is life without end. It is eternal life. It is abundant life. It is a life that is off the charts, not just in quantity, but also quality. So Jesus says, I'm not just a life or a a possibility of life, but I am the life. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas Kempis said it this way, that Jesus is the straightest way. He is the purest truth. He is everlasting life. The only way for you to have a way to God, the only way for you to know the truth of God, the only way for you to have eternal life is to personally know Jesus Christ. For the way, the truth, and the life is found and bound in Jesus and Jesus alone. To know Jesus is to know the way, the truth, and the life. To not know Jesus is to have no chance of knowing the way or the truth or having life. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why I say this is the most explosive statement ever found on the lips of Jesus. He is declaring exclusively that no one comes to the Father except through him. That there's no way that anybody can get to God's heaven outside of Jesus. Friend, it is true that in heaven, there's space for you. But the only people that are in heaven are Jesus' people. The only people that are in heaven are those who go through the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the person who has explicit faith in the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus at Calvary's cross. That explicit faith is needed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order for you and for me to go to heaven. It is not what one liberal theologian said, that that, that all you got to do is just go by Jesus, as if Jesus is there admitting anybody and everybody. No, the text is clear. The word is through. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may think to yourself, well, pastor, this sounds pretty narrow, and the answer is, it, it, it may be narrow, but even greater still, it's biblical. That Jesus is declaring, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. About 15 years ago, I met a man named Alan Shore. Alan is a Messianic Jew. He came to the first church that I pastored to lead us in a Seder service, a Passover meal. That evening was extraordinary. Uh, His statements were extremely insightful. At the end of the Seder meal, there was a few moments for questions and answers. And I remember that one of the sweet elderly saints of the church raised her hand And she asked this question, Alan, will you please share with us your conversion experience? And Alan stood back and thought for a moment before he spoke. 
He said, I know what you mean when you ask for my conversion experience. He said, but this much I can tell you, that I trusted Jesus as Messiah in 1974 in Paris, France. But at no point did I abdicate my Jewish heritage. I was born a Jew and I'm still a Jew, he said. But I am a Jewish believer who knows that Jesus is Messiah. And I follow hard after him. That evening, that response was a watershed moment for me. I realized that oftentimes we ask two broad, two general questions. We ask questions like, are Jews going to heaven? Are Catholics going to heaven? Are Presbyterians going to heaven? Are Baptists going to heaven? And the reality is those questions are far too broad because the answer is simply this, that any Jew who believes that Jesus is Savior is going to heaven. Any Catholic who believes that Jesus is Savior is going to heaven. Any Presbyterian who believes that Jesus is Savior is going to heaven. And yes, any Baptist who believes that Jesus is the sole Savior is going to heaven. Jesus declares in our passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. But anyone who comes to me goes through me into heaven. Because Jesus is the guide into glory. He is the escort into eternity. Who's going to heaven? Only people who believe and know that Jesus is Christ. Somewhere in the conversation, Philip got lost. He simply raised his hand and said, Jesus, if you just show us the Father, that will be enough. And Jesus responded, Philip, after all this time, I've been with you. I, I've declared who I am. I've demonstrated who I am. Philip, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Very reminiscent of what Jesus said earlier, I and the Father are one. Philip, if, if you've seen me, if you've heard me speak, then you've heard the very voice of God. For God is working his will through me. Philip, if you don't believe my words, at least believe my works. You know, friend, it's one thing for Jesus to say, I am God. It's another thing for him to demonstrate, I am God. And Jesus says to Philip, if you can't trust me by my word alone, just remember the works. Remember the miracles that I've been performing. And the proof is in the pudding <laughs> that what I have done, I have demonstrated what I've declared to be. I am God, and I've proven it time and time again. It was D.A. Carson in his commentary on the Gospel of John who said the miracles of Jesus are nonverbal Christological signposts. Nonverbal Christological signposts that the miracles of Jesus point to the reality that Jesus is God. All you have to do is remember in John chapter 2, it is Jesus who turns water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. 
In John chapter 5, it is Jesus who heals an invalid of some 38 years. In John chapter 6, it is Jesus who feeds a massive crowd of 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And in John chapter 9, it is this Jesus who opens the eyes of a blind man who was born without the ability to see. And in John chapter 11, this Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And the greatest nonverbal Christological signpost will take place in John chapter 20 when this Jesus will himself be raised from the dead. Jesus says to Philip, listen, if you can't trust my words, you can at least trust my works. Because all throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, he is declaring, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said at the very end of our passage that anyone who has faith in me, there it is, it's spelled out. Explicit faith in Jesus is required to go from death unto life. Anyone, Jesus says, who has faith in me will do the things you've seen me do. And then Jesus said, whoever has faith in me will do greater things. I read those words and I scratch my head and I think to myself, how is it possible that you and me, that we can do greater things than Jesus Well, certainly the word greater does not mean more dramatic. It doesn't mean more important. For you and I cannot do anything more dramatic than what Jesus did in John chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead. And you and I cannot do anything that is more important than what Jesus did in John chapter 20 when he himself was raised from the dead. But Jesus says to his disciples, if you have faith in me, If you believe upon me, if you trust the accomplished work of Christ on the cross, then you will do greater things, more numerous things. One way we can see this illustrated today is that the reality is that Jesus was a man. He is the God-man, but he was a man who was born and raised in a forsaken town called Nazareth. You know, Josephus, the early church historian, doesn't even mention Nazareth in any of the writings prior to the coming of Jesus. Why? Because Nazareth was a no-name place. It was literally just a, a dot on the side of the road. When Philip called Nathaniel to come and follow Jesus because he is from Nazareth and we think that he is the Messiah, what did Nathaniel say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth is a no-name place. And Jesus lived most of his life in that no-name town. And then for his three years of ministry, Jesus rarely went outside of Israel. Specifically, he spent most of his time in Galilee. And Jesus poured himself predominantly into 12 disciples. And yet fast forward 2,000 years, and today... The message of Jesus Christ literally is going throughout the world. The message of Christ 
That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That message is being clearly proclaimed throughout every nation, all throughout the world on this very day. Just stop and think about this church, this this church, just one of, of many churches. But on this day, First Baptist Church of Pelham is sending a message to 23 states and six countries. That's overwhelming. In the last four weeks of us doing a live stream, we have over 33,000 devices that have viewed a live stream from this congregation. And we're only one Bible-believing congregation. There are hundreds and thousands of Christ-honoring, Bible-believing churches all throughout the globe. We're just one of many, and 33,000 devices have tuned in at least once over the last four weeks. Church, God is working through this congregation, and that is a great thing. Jesus promised that if you have faith in me, I will invite you into my work, and you will do the will of the Father, and it will be great. See, the life that Jesus calls us to is not just fire insurance. The life that Jesus calls us to is not just an escape from the flames of hell, but the life that Jesus calls us to is an abundant life. It is a joy-filled life. It is a life that's full of obedience and great things that you and I can do for the Lord. Who is Jesus? He is our God. He guides us into glory. Friends, have you ever taken a guided tour? I'm sure you have. You've probably been on those trips where you have a tour guide, and that tour guide shows you things that you wouldn't otherwise see, tells you things that you wouldn't otherwise know. And if it wasn't for the tour guide, you'd miss out on a lot. About 12 years ago, I was getting my doctorate at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary right outside Boston, Massachusetts. As I was working the residency work, My best friend is a guy named Paul Burton. Paul Burton and his family, they live in and around Boston, Massachusetts. Paul's father, he was the first draft pick of the New England Patriots back in the early 1960s. Mr. and Ms. Burton have five children. One of those children is a guy named Paul. I remember on one given residency, we got to the end of our work. He asked the question, he said, hey, My brother, Ron Jr., he works for the Boston Red Sox. Would any of you like a guided tour of Fenway Park? Friend, I think my hand was the first one to shoot up into the air. I remember that cold, blistering Saturday afternoon in March. A group of us went to Fenway Park. We met Ron Jr., Paul's brother, And Ron Jr. began to take us through Fenway Park. It wasn't an official guided tour, but he works in the front office. So he took us places that probably nobody else goes. We went to the Green Monster on top of the Green Monster. We went over to Pesky's Pole in right field. We stood in center field and looked uh, right straight into home plate. He took us behind the manual scoreboard. And it's back behind there. That's where the opposing pitcher gets loosened up for the game. And I remember standing there on that mound. There were some baseballs that were lying around. And so I looked at Ron Jr. and I said, can I throw one? He said, I don't care, absolutely. 
And so I picked up a baseball and I did my best wind up and I threw, since you weren't there, I'll stick to this story. I threw a 95 mile per hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. Maybe not 95, but you get the idea. And I threw it in there and it was so much fun. I'll never forget that. Because if it had not been for our guided tour, there are places we would not have gone. Things that we would not have been told. In the same way, Jesus is telling anybody who will listen, the only way you get to heaven is by following me. I'm your God into glory. You follow me in this life and the one to come, Jesus says. I'll show you things you've never thought imaginable. I'll tell you things that you never knew to be true. I will be your guide into God's heaven. And how can Jesus say that? Because our passage declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, if you're listening to my voice right now, and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, today can be the day of your salvation. All you have to simply do is say, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven of sin. I need for you to guide me, to escort me. I need for you to be my way, truth, and life. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You were placed in a grave, and on the third day, you were raised from the dead. And today, Jesus, I trust you. I turn from my sin to the best of my ability, and I trust you. You and you alone are my salvation. You and you alone are my hope, because you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. Friend, if you pray a prayer, something like that, if you articulate something like that to the Lord, declaring that you're a sinner and that you need to trust the Lord, if you do that today, will you please let me know? Across your screen, you're gonna find my email address. Will you please just shoot me an email and say, Pastor, today I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I just wanna communicate with you. I wanna send some information to you. But if you would just let me know that today, I would greatly appreciate that because on this day, we hear the explosive words of Jesus. Jesus declares to his disciples in the first century and the 21st century, to anyone and to everyone, Jesus declares, I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me heavenly father we bow before you lord we give you this moment of invitation and response and we pray that those who have never trusted you as savior today will be the day of their salvation for those of us who have been on the guided tour for years and years knowing that you are the one who has saved our soul in this moment. Let us rejoice. Let us also pray for our brothers and our sisters, our family members, uh, people who do not yet know the Lord, and help us to use our time, our days, to glorify you so that we might do great things for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.